Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, and our next guest is making a return to the show. But this time, he will not be tortured by talking about the team that he writes about, Rivers McCown. Normally, you come on here to talk about the Texans, and you leave a trail of woe after we talk. However, however, this time, for Football Outsiders, the Football Outsiders Almanac, you have written the chapter on the NFC East which has had a lot of woe, but you don't care as much about it. So we're going to talk about these Vikings matchups with the NFC East. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm glad to be talking about real football for once, yes. Uh, I will <laughs> say I only wrote two of the NFC East chapters this year, but I have been covering them for divisional stuff. So, yeah, we're all good to talk about all the teams. I also had to write by the Browns for some reason. I don't know what, what they did this offseason, so I wrote that chapter too. Well, they they made you continue to talk about the Deshaun Watson so uh, situation, which just gets like weirder and worse for the uh, Houston Texans as they settle some lawsuits and so forth. But you will not be forced to discuss that because we're going to go through these NFC East. Yes, these NFC East matchups that the Vikings have on their plates this year. And if I make fun of the Texans on the way, I do not apologize for anything. So let's start off with the the Philadelphia Eagles, though, that the Vikings face in week two. I It feels like the Philadelphia Eagles are sort of a, a sexy pick, if you will, Rivers, for people talking about who's going to win the NFC East and a team that I think has really well handled their own timeline. Like they sort of understood when it was over with Doug Peterson and they stacked up draft picks and then decided like we're kind of on the cusp of being a legitimate contender. So now let's trade a first round pick. That is my perception of the Philadelphia Eagles. What is yours? Yeah, you know, those numbers are pretty high on them. Um, I think Dallas is above them at this point still because our numbers actually think that Dallas was underrated last year. They finished number one in DVOA. Um, but yeah, I do think the Eagles have made a big step forward. Um, to me personally, I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, this kind of feels like last year's Chargers were like like one step ahead of the horse here. Let's see what Jalen Hurts can actually do. But I do think that they will be like an actual NFC playoff contender this year. When it comes to Jalen Hurts, I mean, it kind of just starts there because if you were to take a very good quarterback and plop it on this roster, uh, the way Devontae Smith played last year, the offensive line, the running game, and then you add A.J. Brown to this mix, uh, it just feels like this could be a Super Bowl team. But the Jalen Hurts thing, we do have to remember that in the hot run that they had to get into the playoffs, they really lucked into a lot of easy games. And I guess I wonder yeah. where you stand on that, like how much we have to factor that as we have appreciation for Jalen Hurts and try to, uh, but also try to project him for the future. 
you know, I think when it comes to Jalen Hurts, I'm willing to overlook the playoff game, which was a disaster to the point of giving him a chance this year. But what he showed in that playoff game would really scare me if I were an Eagles fan, if I were like rooting for them, if I were putting down money on them to, to go anywhere. I do think they're going to try to be more pass focused this year, which, you know, that's obviously something good in the vacuum. If Hurts can't actually get there, are they going to go back to the run team or not? I don't know. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think <laughs> pretty much as you said, and, and as most people can say at this point, what the season becomes for the Eagles is pretty much all on Jalen Hurts. Right. And I guess I don't know whether he's good or not. I mean, when they drafted him, it was one of those where you try to throw out kind of how you felt at the time and not let that color what you think now about somebody but I loved the draft pick at the time. It's like, why not take a swing at somebody who really handled that to a situation extremely well, came back to Oklahoma, lit it up, runs a four or five, just, you know, is, is a dynamic player, but also recognizing that there are flaws in this man's passing game. And it's not necessarily like, can he hit an open receiver? It's, can he really play quarterback, go through the progressions and hit the right receivers. And I think you saw some of that in the playoff game where it just wasn't there uh, when he was forced to be kind of more of a true quarterback. And I, and you know, they, you also they don't dared want to, they yes. dared him to throw the entire but game. You also, but you also don't want to do the thing where you're like, can he really like the Lamar thing? Can he really throw that pig skin? But it's actually true <laughs> in the case of Jalen hurts where it's like, there's, there's percentage points to this that I think he has to get to another level in order to have them being a legitimate contender. Yeah. I'll say this about him. Um, there are players who, you know, second year they, they come in and don't really improve the lick, you know, hurts actually took some noticeable steps towards last year. Uh, I feel like he's done that pretty much every year for the last couple, including in college. So, uh, I mean, we, we talk about how he can't do this, he can't do that. Whenever somebody is still improving, is still showing signs of improvement, I'm a little more loath to jump on the, oh, he can't do it. He can't do it. It's over. It's done. If it were like, say, Kirk Cousins, I totally get it. But this is not Kirk Cousins. This is somebody who is, you know, 25 or 26. Right. And the leadership element of it, it does seem that people kind of gravitate to him and want to follow him. And I, I don't want to dismiss something like that, even though we're talking about, you know, the analytics book of the football outsiders almanac. But I think when you have somebody on a rookie quarterback contract and you've been able to spend as much as they have and put as much as there is around him, it's kind of like if a guy can make plays and a guy can lead then you've got a chance to succeed there because they've put so much around him. I mean, I can't remember the guy's name. Who was the guy that was second in receptions for receivers for them? It was like Quez Watkins or somebody I've never heard of Quez that was Watkins, behind. Yeah. yeah, yeah, behind behind Devontae Smith. So I, I think that, I mean, I'm not saying that it's like underappreciated because everyone has talked about this Eagles team improving, but it's almost underappreciated when we look at how Hurts threw the ball that, he had one receiver and that one receiver was a rookie and that was about it. Yeah. I mean, he had Dallas Goddard too, of course, but, but yeah, I know what you're saying, of course. Um, and this year we got AJ Brown in there. who was an obvious improvement. Um, you've got Zach Pascal who can kind of catch them over the middle, be a nice little soft possession guy, uh, kind of fits that big slot mold. Could even do some blocking, which could help them with that. Um, and then, of course, if Hurts doesn't work out for whatever reason, I don't, I don't think there's you can say that there's a team probably as well positioned as far as 
talent on the roster and draft capital to go get whoever they need. Or they could be the team that says, Tom Brady, one more year, come here instead. Right. I mean, but there's, there's, it seems like there's always that in the future. Um, And the Eagles have set themselves up so well. Like, what do you think that they did specifically to get them to this point that I guess was like the best thing they did. And I think of this through a Vikings lens, of course, it it just really Um, seemed to me like they played that draft pick game really smart and did not spend stupid money on certain veterans to make sure they stayed around. um, But also did keep the ones that they thought projected to be good for a couple of future years. I'm not saying they did everything perfectly, but it does seem like they really managed the timeline thing better than most teams. I think you can tell a tale about two organizations in this division by the last two Carson Wentz trades. One team got a first round pick out of this somehow, even after a disastrous season in which, you know, people wanted to make excuses for it, but it was pretty clear that he did not look very good. And then this year, the Colts were like, well, uh, I don't know, let's bury this guy in public. And they go to Washington and Washington's like, sure, two thirds. Why not? Makes perfect sense. Who cares about what the quarterback market could have fucking made? Yeah, right. And, you, know, uh, you, wind up with, you wind up with just, you know, a couple of disastrous trades for <laughs> the Carson Wentz and the Eagles could come out of this with a first round pick, a second round pick. They can trade whoever they want. They, you know, they have, they, they, they're very good at keeping flexibility and uh, liquid assets. Now, here's a question, though, about them. I I know that when a coach comes in his first year and makes the playoffs, we just decide that he's really great at his job and he's wonderful and there's no other questions. Um, But I I don't really know. Like, how do we judge if it was for real with Nick Sirianni and there's something there and he can, like, take this team in a different place or if it was just kind of like one of those years where some things fell right for them to, again – barely make the playoffs. I mean, we sort of acted like they were an incredible team. They made the playoffs by one game. Yeah. You remember, I remember the last time that I thought about a coach getting this kind of hype, this kind of buzz off of, you know, a easy schedule and a lot of good running games. It was Bill (laughs) O'Brien. So that doesn't really draw a lot of positive praise for me. I'm also, I'm also kind of concerned about the defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon. Um, He played extremely vanilla last year. They've got talent that he can do that and kind of get away with it. But when you get into games against Tom Brady in the playoffs, you can't just be like, "Uh, we'll we'll just play cover two. I'm sure he's never seen that before. (laughs) So, yeah. It was very odd. Yeah, no, it was very odd. And and then, like, he was getting head coaching interviews. Like, am I taking crazy pills here? Like, they had – they had the most vanilla defense in the league. And I think there's even like numbers to back this up that really show that they did not mix their defense up. And then it's like head coach candidate guy who doesn't really change things up. Yeah. Very, very strange. Um, But I think that those things probably hold them back from being a legit Super Bowl contender that if they don't improve how much they switch up their defense, where the best defenses I think are the most deceptive in the league. And then if Jalen hurts is still kind of the same guy and doesn't take the big steps, I think you're talking about being the team that's nine and eight this year. And then you end up in a very difficult situation with Jalen hurts, but that one would kind of remind me of like, I don't know. It's like, is that like a Tyrod Taylor in Buffalo where the guy is, like pretty good and can run around and make some plays, but there's just better things in this world. 
I think I think that would be kind of be similar where they had a good roster and they were kind of ready to win, but he just wasn't enough. And they brought in their big receiver and Sammy Watkins. And they, yeah, yeah, no, I see what you're going with that for sure. Uh, the Eagles have the Eagles have a lot of, of how can I put this? There's always like a sex appeal when you're doing the predictions game of being the guy who's ahead of the curve. Being, oh, well, the Eagles are like on their way. They're going to get there this year. I don't. I would pump the brakes on this year. I'm not that blown away by that roster yet, but I do think they're on a good path. All right. Uh, before we go to, to the next team that we talk about in the NFC East, I think the thing that's appropriate since you have the most backup quarterback journeyman name is to talk about our favorite backup or journeyman quarterback for the each team. So for me, that begins with Coy Detmer for the Philadelphia Eagles. A guy who I once I once heard a great story about Coy Detmer that one of the reasons they kept him on the roster was that he was the kicker's favorite for holding the field goals. And so the kicker demanded it was I think it was David Akers. So he demanded that mm-hmm. he had Coy Detmer holding the field goals. And you remember, like David Akers was really good. And Coy like Coy Detmer had his moments, I think. And then there was Ty Detmer. <laughs> there was. There were many Detmers over the years, weren't there? Uh I guess with the Eagles, I I I always think of Jeff Garcia there. I don't know why. Like it's 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 like the one stop that makes no sense to, for him to think about. But but man, Jeff Garcia, that was an eagle right there. Jeff Garcia, eagle. And then if I recall, it, it was like Jeff Garcia is just totally washed and like he's done whatever. <laughs> yes, and then yes, he was. Was it Vic got hurt or someone got hurt and Garcia goes in and wins a bunch of games? Is a nice story and good for you, Jeff Garcia. Um, I would I would toss in Rodney Pete defeating the Barry Sanders um, Detroit Lions in the playoffs when Scott Mitchell threw like six interceptions. Throw throw Rodney, Rodney Pete's Pete. name out there. Throw some respect on Rodney Pete. Let's go. Throw some respect on Rodney <laughs> Pete. Um, okay, let's move on to the next team. But I, I like it. I like our names there. Let's talk about the um, – actually, should I do this in order of who they play? Nah, who cares? Uh, let's talk about the commanders because they command our attention these days. With their tremendous yeah. team name, the Carson Wentz thing. You 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 jest about the Carson Wentz thing, but let's even just say the Carson Wentz is an average quarterback, and they have a good roster, and they have a competent coach. I'm not saying he's a great coach, but I'd say that Ron Rivera knows what he's doing in the NFL. Like, can they win like ten games? I mean, if you can win seven with Taylor Heineke, who's just atrocious, can you win ten with Carson Wentz? I mean, the thing about this division is it's so poor, like top to bottom as far as quality, as far as like our hard projections go. That yeah, I mean, ten wins, ten and seven. That's that's not even really a big a big stretch anymore. I do think that the Commanders are going to have a problem here, which is while we did a lot of research on the Almanac about how third down defense, as bad as that was last year, tends to regress to the mean. We also did that research and then pointed out, hey, teams that actually regressed back to the mean did make some changes. <laughs> and they were just like, Jack Del Rio, back. Chase Young, back maybe. We don't know yet. We'll figure that out later. Uh, everybody else on the team from last year, back. <laughs> they, did, they, they changed almost nothing. All they're doing is relying on the same youth guys they were last year, and then they threw in Philadelphia and Mavis in the second round. So that's, that's an area where I would be pretty concerned. And, and the Jack Del Rio thing, um, you know, he's obviously <laughs> yes. uh, not 
not great at tweeting and uh, really not good at press conferences these days, but, and it costs him a lot of money to be that way. But I also don't think he's very good at defensive coordinating because when you compare the names of the players on that defense, and usually what I say, and I, I think you'd agree with this from covering the league is just like, it's usually the talent. I mean, how much talent do you have on your roster equals how well you play, but I will make exceptions to the rule for old clueless former middle linebackers for the Vikings who can't maximize that talent that I think that you can hurt yourself on defense schematically and play calling wise if you're not good at it and uh, I mean Rob Ryan would make this case pretty strong for me that he could hold back any defense so I think that that is a major concern I also think that like there is a level of distraction of that franchise of just existing that I think it does hurt them in the fact that like their owner is on a yacht trying to avoid a, an indictment or whatever. <laughs> like, I, I do. I do think that permeates people and their attitudes toward things. And, and it's a, and it's a, a thin margin to win. I think that makes things difficult. We, we, we were trying to, to write about, you know, these sorts of things in the almanac this year. And uh, I, I basically got to the point where it was like, what I'll do is I'll put in that something like, Hey, even as we were writing this almanac, more things kept coming up about Daniel Snyder, about this, about uh, Jack Del Rio. And even though we did that and we weren't about that, it's still empty. So it doesn't really matter how you try to couch that. This is just an ongoing situation. I will say about Del Rio, uh, as you're talking about coaches that can hold back you, I think what came to mind first for me was Matt Patricia as we were you know, getting into your NFC North roots and just you know, hearing stories about teams running the same play on them over and over again and them not changing anything, not, not really trying to adapt at all. And yeah, when you have a coach that uh, is stagnant, that, that, that's when you're in danger in the NFL. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look at how Kirk Cousins performed against the Lions when Patricia was there. They just ran boots all day against cover one. And like, it was, it was just, okay, let Justin Jefferson, one-on-one -on -one coverage with some backup corner. That seems like a great idea, but over and over and over and over again. And I think that's problematic yeah. for them. 
it, but that that's where I, I kind of run into this. Like, I think when I look at what they have on the roster and if it was the old Madden games, they used to actually have a difference between the good and the bad teams. You would give their roster ratings like pretty high numbers, but I don't believe in some of the other stuff. And I also just don't buy into the idea that there's ever a world where we go back to Carson Wentz from what he was in his very first impression in the league, which is, you know, playing at an MVP level for the Philadelphia Eagles. If that's a roster so good that Nick Foles can win the Super Bowl with it, then that is an outlier. Like you're just never going to find that. I think Terry McLaurin's a good player. I question the other receivers that they have. I think they have a good offensive line. I think they have a decent offensive coordinator, but I just cannot get around to anything other than Carson Wentz being what he has been since then, which is essentially like a, like a nine and seven type quarterback. Yeah. Um, I would argue he was worse last year. <laughs> I think he was really, really bad. Um, I think the, the best way I can describe this is that if you go on YouTube and look up Carson Wentz left-handed passes, there is a two minute montage of just this Colts year of him just like throwing weird crap out on the wall. And, you know, far be it for me to tell anybody how to play quarterback. I'm just, you know, not even good enough to play in high school, really. But when I watch Carson Wentz play football, it feels like, you know, watching, uh, watching like a, like a bad stand-up comic, try out new material and just bomb over and over again. Yeah, I think the the most optimistic way to look at Wentz would be to say that he can actually get the ball downfield if they want to try to push downfield, unlike Taylor Heineke, who just does not have the physical tools. But the number of goofy and insane throws by Carson Wentz uh, is just way too high for me to believe that they can even win this division. And I think that for the last couple of years, there's sort of been the like, oh, Washington, everybody keep an eye on them. Like you talk about the prognosticators trying to, you know, be the, the one that picks the team that's surprising or something. Uh, sure. I just I cannot I cannot get around on them. Now, they have a myriad of wonderful journeyman and backup quarterback history. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> so I think I'm going to I think I'm going to go with a with a show classic which is Jeff George in the Jeff George era in DC, which was horrendous. Like couldn't have been, couldn't have been worse. He played like three games and they cut him in the middle of the season. I think. Boy, there were two names that came to mind when you brought this up. I don't know if Danny Werfel counts. I think he might've oh, yeah. been like a starter yes. for too long. 100% but counts. That was, that was a major back of quarterback. And then there was that one year where Todd Collins won like six or seven games for them, and they made the playoffs. And he started in the playoffs. What a what an abomination of justice! <laughs> what a time to be alive! Because so I so I grew up in Buffalo, and Todd Collins was taking over for Jim Kelly, and they had drafted him out of Michigan, and they were like, "Oh, this big arm quarterback, he's six five, and he's going to be the next Kelly." Which you know, good luck with all that. And right. so he takes over. They start him in ninety seven, and he is just awful and then he becomes a backup because then they went to doug flutie and rob johnson the very next year so they only gave him one year and he becomes a backup. wade let's go wade wade phillips yep and he becomes a backup <laughs> for i'm not kidding like a whole decade and no one sees him from 98 to i think 07 and he's just like shows up with washington wins for like you said four or five games in a row and is in the playoffs i was like wait that cannot be 
Todd Collins is a pretty like generic name. That cannot be the same Todd Collins. Oh, it was. Yeah. He's still around. He's back, baby. <laughs> this is this is why we love these guys on the show. Uh all right. The um I guess I should ask you, I should have asked you, like Philadelphia, Washington. Like, are these are these coin flips to you against the Vikings, or are these games where you say the Vikings should win or should lose? I would say the Eagles is a coin flip game. Um, I think if the Vikings are actually a playoff contender in any way, they should be able to handle Washington. I agree. Yep, I agree. It's at Washington, so I mean that's uh, maybe I don't know if that's factor or not. The turf, I don't know. <laughs> Somebody will get hurt. <laughs> they have. We know they, that they have turf. That, that used that, to be is that Cousins' first game back in Washington. Uh, it is. Yep. 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 Nice. Revenge. Nice. Yes, he is not. He has not avenged them letting him go in any other way. So maybe this is a chance. Um, (laughs) He's still been better than what they've had for five years or whatever now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, he most definitely has. And as far as like lawsuits, he doesn't have any and Congress doesn't want to talk to him. So he's like way ahead of their owner. But uh, anyway, so let's let's. I, I don't believe he had anything to do with them making the cheerleading squad into a bunch of strippers that they could show to the um, business partners of Daniel Snyder. I don't think Kirk was involved in that. So, uh, yeah, he's he's definitely <laughs> now, one cheerle- If the cheerleaders didn't want to get vaccinated, he knew where to hide from, too. Let's get <laughs> oh, real oh, oh. Going to move on to the Giants. Going to move on to the Giants. Daniel Jones, this is the big one. Daniel Jones, are people talking themselves into Daniel Jones? And are there reasons for people to talk themselves into Daniel Jones? I mean, I can understand how this could happen. I think that's the best way to say it. Like, you get a, you get a, a new guy in Dable here who knows what he's doing. You look at the last, you know, basically three years with, with Joe Judge and, uh, and Jason Garrett, and you look at that and you throw it out. Go away. Don't want to think about you anymore. Okay. So Daniel Jones in his first year threw some good deep passes. He looked pretty decent. He wasn't regarded as like a top quarterback prospect at that point, I don't think, by anybody. But he's, he showed some flashes. And you get him in a good set. You surround him with good receivers now that they're, you know, they're like five or six deep at this position. Uh, Saquon still has talent. They've improved the offensive line. I can totally see how people go, would go into this thinking – yeah, this could be, you know, a decent Daniel Jones year. I don't think he's going to be like an MVP candidate or anything, but I think he can rebound and, you know, become, you know, maybe next year's Trubisky on the market, that sort of thing. The one thing about Daniel Jones, though, that I cannot get over is, I mean, you talk about Carson Wentz turning the ball over and having crazy passes. Like, Daniel Jones fumbles like he's me or you. Like, in in the pocket. I know if I played quarterback in the NFL for a single play, what would happen? I would get scared and I would let go of the ball and say, get away from me. That's kind of been Daniel Jones's career. Now they've built up their offensive line. I don't know if that's the difference maker or if it's him because quarterback sacks are kind of a quarterback stat, having more receivers that could get open, having a better system. Does he understand the system better? Like all these things would factor in, but when a guy hasn't even averaged seven yards a pass at any point yet in his career, I, and, and turns it over as much as he does, I guess I'm skeptical of how you could just sort of wash that stuff away and be like, oh, no, that has nothing to do with who he actually is. It was just the system. I'll put it this way. I think Daniel Jones is in for a year of being a fantasy football darling, like the kind of guy who, like, out of nowhere will be a QB1 for, you know, 
a quarter of the leagues, maybe half the weeks if he's lucky, that sort of thing. And, you know, is he going to make bad plays along the way? Sure, he will. He's, you know, he, he has that turnover gene, as you said. And, you know, whenever I think of Daniel Jones, I just think of him breaking away into the open field and then playing near the goal line. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, that kind of is his brand. So I do believe that he'll take a step forward. I don't think he's going to be like, you know, I don't think he's going to rejuvenate the career and become like Tannehill or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the one that everybody kind of has to go back to because there aren't that many examples of players who sort of failed as uh, first round draft picks and then succeeded elsewhere. I think the giants based on the coaching change going from bottom two coach in the league last year, urban Meyer, the crown champion of maybe the one of the worst ever, uh, but yes. uh, right behind him. I mean, Joe judge was lucky that people made fun of urban Meyer a lot more because there were so many hilarious and bizarre press conferences and everything else from Joe judge that I would buy an argument much more. If you said one of these teams, that's not Dallas ends up winning the division. Like who is it? I would buy an argument much more for the New York giants than I think I would Washington and maybe almost even with Philadelphia. And I don't know if that's a hot take or not. I mean, it is, but I, I can see what you're saying too. You can see how it can all come together. I do think defensively that unit right now with, with a quarterback, especially, Oh, that's, that would scare me. I think they're going to be almost the opposite of the Joe judge teams now though. Like they're, they're, they're transitioning from this run heavy, boring as hell, play decent defense, you, you know, scrap around and get a 15 to 10 win if they're lucky sort of team into, hey, let's throw the ball around. Let's lose 27-35. Well, I'd like to see that much more than anything involving Joe Judge. What do you think of the uh, the influx of like this guy, this coach is supposed to completely change our offense. I mean, this is what we're doing here. This is what uh, Denver is doing. Russell Wilson will have more to do with that. But it seemed like this offseason there were just a lot of, and even uh, Josh McDaniels, the head coaching hires were, this is the offensive coordinator who is supposed to take us to the next level. Because I think that, I think with Brian Dable, I would buy it in comparison to Joe Judge. But I'm also not sure that he just takes the Josh Allen system and says, here, Daniel Jones, you run it. Like, I don't know that he has the same skill set. I think he's a good athlete, but not to the level of someone like Josh Allen who spent a lot of plays where it's like, well, the play broke down, but then Josh Allen threw seven people out of the way and fired it to Stefan Diggs. Like, I don't know that that is going to be exactly the same. So I wonder what you make of that. It's a very common narrative in a lot of cities that the new head coach who is an offensive coordinator is going to be different. I mean, I think that's definitely become trendy. I'll put it that way. It's 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 a trendy way to think about uh, improving because if you improve the coaching, then you don't need to improve the player. And nobody wants to improve the player. That would just be admitting too many things but wrong. So yeah, I, I don't I don't think that you know Daniel Jones is going to become Josh Allen. I think that's obvious. I do think that you can take a lot of what happened with Josh Allen, uh, you know, running spread and that sort of thing. Uh, Take advantage of Daniel Jones's natural athleticism, doing read option stuff. Like I do think there are things that can benefit him a lot out of that system. Just you know, he's not going to be Josh Allen. <laughs> right, right. I think uh, very few people have ever had his physical skill set. Now, um, 
let's do let's do the part about the Vikings matching up against them. This is one that I think everybody just writes in. Oh, Vikings W. I, th- I think that's probably right because of what you said about their secondary. And I think the Vikings are probably just a stronger team overall, but it also has the one it, it, like that one in the, in the game against the jets for the Vikings or the one where you go, Oh, everyone wrote that in as a W. And then by the time you got there, you went, Ooh, they're stronger than we thought. And it ends up being like the surprise loss that we didn't expect. I guess I, I feel that way, even though I think that it's right for everyone preseason to put the Vikings ahead of the giants. When I think about these single games, like I, this isn't really an area I traffic in analysis a whole lot because it's just so volatile. But when I think about the single games, I try to look back at history. And what I most remember about Vikings versus Dable was that first game in Josh Allen's rookie year that he really you know, surprised. I think they were like 17-point favorites in the game, something like that. Like it was a lot. And the Bills won in Minnesota. So that would scare me a lot. That no, I mean, I agree. Yeah. Trying to pick games at the beginning of the year, like somebody misses a field goal. There's a fumble. Who knows? Uh, yeah. COVID will probably come back. Like who knows? Who knows? Right. By the time we get to Vikings giants. But I also think that that's like one of the fun things to do in the off season is try to figure out who's going to win these football games. Um, let's see backup journeyman or backup slash or journeyman quarterbacks for the giants are a little bit, tricky um let's see well david really carr david carr david, yeah yeah david carr yeah sorry i stole Super yours champion, there. david carr <laughs> now one yeah one of the also one of the more bizarre and forgettable eras would be kurt warner as a new york giant um okay. collins was a journeyman you had i'll give you one deep in the weeds kent graham how about kent graham yeah that was that, those are the early madden days let me let me take you back to an era where everybody thought that Doug Marone would draft his boy, Ryan Nassib, in the first round. <laughs> and instead, he went to the Giants and just stood there. And I don't think he even played an NFL game, maybe like one or two. But that was that was an interesting era to be alive in. I could take that story a layer deeper, which is um, the Buffalo Bills who did not draft uh, Ryan Nassib in that, in that draft. And I think he went in like the fourth or fifth round. They played the Giants in the preseason. And it might've even been the hall of fame game. And Ryan Nassib was fantastic. And so after <laughs> that, like, cause I used yeah. to do pre and post game show after that, it was like, how could Marone when he played with this great young quarterback, not pick him up. Look at how the guy just played in the hall of fame game. And it was like, well, who can argue with that? Who can argue with that logic, but they nailed it with EJ Manuel. So. Of course, <laughs> the, the one year where you don't want that first quarterback. <laughs> uh, let's let's talk about um, Texas's team, <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, number one in scoring last year, and like you said, I mean the DVO Nate numbers love them. They had a great season. They won twelve games. Why does it seem like it was so bad? Like, why is it? It's just that the way that it ended was so ridiculous and miserable with them running the clock out on themselves, which is something that like someone new to Madden might accidentally do is just like, oh, I don't don't know how to use timeouts like, (laughs) or manage the clock at all. But uh, that's kind of what it feels like to me. It also feels like they started out so good and so hot. 
and then were really not that great in the second half of the season and then couldn't move the ball against San Francisco, that that is our impression of them. Also, there's no respect for Mike McCarthy, which I totally understand. But are they the team, and this is weird to say, that sort of overlooked in the conversation because of these things? I mean, I thought it was interesting that you let off with the commanders by saying that they com- they're commanding our respect because I kind of feel like the Cowboys would seem in this division that commands your attention no matter what. We've all been exposed to way too much Cowboys. They, they can't get them off the NFC, you know, Fox 4 o'clock game. Impossible to do. Have to watch them. You have to watch Ezekiel Elliott play through his frame PCL and be terrible every damn week for the entire season. They've subjected you to that. You have to watch Mike McCarthy make some boneheaded management decision every week. They've subjected you to that. So, yeah, I do think that there's a lot of dissonance there, and that kind of plays into how I'm kind of favoring them this season for sure. Um, I do think that they have taken some hits this offseason, losing Amari Cooper, um, losing Randy Gregory. I don't think those are like enormous hits, but I do think they make it a little bit harder for them. Randy Gregory, when he's playing, is an absolute beast. I mean, he has just destroyed the Vikings every time that they've played him. And, I mean, Amari Cooper did the same thing. I think he had like 19 catches in a game. (laughs) 19 targets and 16 catches in a game against the Vikings. So they'll be happy to see him gone. Um, Cooper Rush, baby. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, that's all well, the Cooper rush game. Right. And Amari Cooper was the one who mossed um, Cam Dantzler to win that game. A very right. memorable time. I wrapped up the podcast by saying, folks, your team just lost to Cooper rush and then just shut it off. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I still think that when you look at this roster and the fact that they have one of the most dynamic players on defense in the entire NFL, a quarterback who is consistently putting up huge point totals, yet still gets debated, which is kind of weird to me. Like I think we should have decided a long time ago that Pres- Dak Prescott is just very good, um, but yet it's yet it still seems like there's a there's a questioning of like whether they could be a legitimate contender, and I feel like that has to be mostly Mike McCarthy that we just don't feel like he's a good enough coach to have them consistently winning twelve games. No, I think it goes beyond Mike McCarthy, actually. I think it goes to ownership itself. It's just kind of what you're saying with Dan Snyder. When you have that level of uncertainty, buffering on everything. And then, you know, this offseason, they asked Jerry Jones about Mike McCarthy. He's like, oh, well, we'll see what happens. I don't know. Right. Ah, I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll get Sean Payton next year. Who cares? Leave me alone. <laughs> like that, that level of uncertainty just kind of permeates everything. I do think that Prescott gets a bad rap. I think that a lot of what happened last season was him playing through injury. The hamstring uh, hurt his ability to run or his ability to throw. Um, and then even before the season, you had that kind of shoulder thing where we were like, is he going to be able to, you know, rip it full full speed? I don't know. He played pretty well for the first couple of games, um, like, he did, like he did before getting hurt in 2020, actually. And then it kind of fell apart while he was hurt. So kind of the story of the Cowboys right now um, – you want to find a reason to, to, you know, slap them down, tell them that they're bad. Yeah, you've got it. It's not hard to find on the tape. It's just, was it an injury? Was it something else? Or was it the talent? I don't think it was the talent. I think it's one of those couple things. Yeah, I think that they are still one of the most talented teams, even though they've lost players. And uh, I, I guess I always wonder if there's something to, there shouldn't be, but is there something to, 
the pressure that everyone in Dallas always faces post they won a bunch of Super Bowls. Like it seemed to, they would have great regular seasons with Tony Romo, but it seemed to kind of get to them at some point. And with Dak Prescott, like they, you're right though. Like no matter how much media we have in this world, if you turn on first take in the NFL season and Dallas isn't on it, it's totally shocking. So I, I don't know. I don't know if you think there's something to that or not. I do think that there's a lot of pressure there. Absolutely. And I do think it drives a lot. I don't know that it, you know, it's downright changing results. I think that there are, you know, if you're actually in the NFL, you probably made enough pressure situations in your life where you're not, you know, gonna choke under the pressure or something. But I do think that there's always going to be that kind of lingering uncertainty about everything in Dallas until, you know, <laughs> the ownership is more stable in some way. I mean, mm-hmm. otherwise it's just going to haunt them. Yeah, I think it's more of like everything is under a microscope as being like the team that still gets the most focus. For whatever reason, they haven't won anything in a very long time, but they've been relevant uh, a lot and a playoff team a lot and had good quarterback play a lot. So I understand why that is. It just seems like there's when anything goes wrong, there's so much more attention to it for maybe some other teams. I don't know. Like I think about these things a lot that as we try to talk about the football outsiders almanac and look at the statistics, but I'm always sort of interested in what kind of causes some of these things to happen. It's really interesting kind of what goes on in Dallas for sure. I mean, it's, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to get my train of thought here on this, but it, it's, it's almost like it's impossible for them to just be normal. And you know, it, it, even when they were, you know, bad, they were still like, we're going to trade for spoiler on my, on my back of quarterback. We're going to trade for Drew Henson. We're going to send a third round pick for Drew Henson. That'll make it all better. Like there's always just that little level of wacky just waiting to be unleashed in any Dallas storyline. And I mean, I led the almanac with that. They led the NFL in penalties last year. Like they, they just, they're just a wacky, wacky bunch right now. Um, yeah, I'll go, uh, I'll, well, so I, I, uh, grew up in minor league baseball cities. And so I saw Drew Henson play third base against the Rochester Red Wings and he was playing for the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Yankees. So, and I think that's as far as it went. That was that, that was a whole thing because it was Brady and Drew Henson in college. And, uh, we are showing our ages here, but like, there was all this attention for Henson. Well, is he going to play baseball? Is he going to play football? And he chose baseball and then he wasn't all that good. And then he tried to come back for football and he wasn't all that good at that. So this man is better at sports than 98% of the population, but wasn't quite good enough at either ones. It's always sort of fascinating with him. I was going to say uh, Randall Cunningham was a brief Dallas Cowboys quarterback. And also I would. And also Drew Bledsoe, uh, Dallas quarterback, was not a great experience for the Dallas Cowboys, if I recall. So those are those are my journeyman uh, selections. Oh, oh, we can go to journeyman now. Okay, one of my favorite. Well, journeyman favorite or seasons, backups, either way. One one of my favorite seasons is uh, out of nowhere, Vinny Testaverde injury, starting like 15 games for the Cowboys, made absolutely no sense. Any facet except that Bill Barcells knew him, so that was great. Um, I think we got to bring up Chad Hutchinson. You have to bring up Chad Hutchinson for sure. Yeah, we we, yeah. we we need another minor league pitcher in there. So so there you there go. There was a, there was a moment I think where 
like on a broadcast, somebody said like, maybe they found their guy here in Chad Hutchinson. And you're like, yeah, maybe <laughs> could be <laughs> Anthony Wright's was another one. Was Anthony Wright the guy or was it Quincy Carter? Which one of them, which one of them was like the starting quarterback and then just like had drug problems and was out of the league pretty quickly. It was, well, I mean, it's Dallas. So there's probably a, probably a, yeah, that that's what I yeah. thought. Like, cause he was pretty, I, like Quincy was pretty good. Anthony Wright was not good at all, but like, I actually thought they might have their future quarterback in Quincy Carter at the time. I mean, if I watched it back, he might've been horrendous, but I thought he was good. I always throw Anthony Wright with the Ravens for some reason. He's not, I never, oh, yeah. I never think of him as a cowboy first. Yeah, he was a Raven. That's what makes it so random is that he was yeah. uh, definitely a Raven. So they had, yeah, they had uh, quite a time. And if you want to do deep cut, even though it's recent, like Ben DiNucci starting a game for them, I will always remember the, hey, if you want to know what, uh, you know, somebody who's weighing over their head looks like starting a game in the NFL, Ben DiNucci, everybody. So good, good time. I mean, that was Dallas. fun. That, that was fun and all. Don't get me wrong. But then, you know, just this year. Ian Book took it to the next level. I'm sorry, Ben. It's over. Yes, yes. Yeah, Ian Book was probably the worst-looking quarterback that has ever had to step in. And he's a fourth-round draft pick, so whoops. Uh, anyway, so who um, Well, who wins this game? I would take Dallas in that game. I would take yeah. Dallas in that game for sure. Um, I mean, if they could beat him last think, year with Cooper Rush. I don't think the Vikings would look out of place in that game. But I, I do worry about, you know, Dan Quinn's back. Um, I think he has, he, does, he has some good disguises that Kirk Cousins cannot pick up on quite that well. And I'd always worry about Cousins whenever he's asked off script. That's, that's a dangerous situation for me. Always, always. Uh, so, uh, yeah, well, I, you know, I was just going to check on this. Guess what you're going to get to see in your life November 20th, 2022 at 3.45 p.m. Central that late afternoon NFL game, the Dallas Cowboys playing against the Minnesota Vikings. So America will see the Cowboys. How lucky are they? <laughs> As always, they're they're always lucky. As oh, always. One more thing about the Cowboys before we before we leave. Um, I've been the guy all year, and I think I'm the only person left on this thing. I think Ezekiel Elliott's still good. He was just hurt, but everybody was subjected to a million carries of him being terrible. And that just kind of stuck in our heads. So Tony Pollard, I think, is a good like back. Like I wrote him up in FOA, in, in FOA and I was like, you know who he kind of compares to is, is your boy, Chester Taylor. That's oh, yeah. Very popular. Him. Very popular in Minnesota. So the, the, the returns, um, the catching, like he kind of he's kind of all purpose, but good enough to be a starting committee back. But I think Elliot's still better. And I think you guys in fantasy need to get that through your heads. <laughs> You know, the um, the number of number two running back types who are really good throughout the last 20 years of the NFL, that's a whole other podcast. I mean, there's a lot. I was thinking he's like a Napoleon Kaufman or something or, or a, uh, a Charlie Garner. It was amazing that the, the run the Chargers went on when they had LT and they, and they wind up with Sproles and Michael Turner, the burner. Yes. Michael Turner, who I think, if I'm not mistaken, had like 98 speed or something on Madden. So you always just went and got Michael Turner away from them because that was that's what I would do is I would go through and I would trade for someone's backup running back, trade like a fourth round pick, get someone's backup running back that has 97 speed. And then you're good. That's your guy. See, I wasn't that complex. I was just like looking at the overall ratings. (laughs) 
<laughs> Who's gonna play see, these games? Come on, we're here to simulate. See, you got, right? you gotta play. You gotta play GM. You gotta go out. You gotta make moves. Got to build your roster. I did make moves. I, I signed free agents and traded them for picks. <laughs> <laughs> a, cl- a classic game hack. Yes, for sure. Uh, well, always uh, always great to get together with you, Rivers. People should go to footballoutsiders.com. Get the Football Outsiders Almanac that is written by great folks like yourself. Derek Klassen was on the show uh, the other day. So you've heard this incredible content. I mean, if you can, if you can bring up Drew Henson and Chad Hutchinson on the show, then you know that a man really knows football. Uh, but no, really fun to get together with you. And look at look at you. Look at you. You're beaming that we didn't talk about the Texans. Your your cat is sleeping in the back, feeling great about life. Like everyone is happy there that we did not discuss the Houston Texans on the show. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to just sit down and talk about football. Interesting how that works. <laughs> Teams that could win stuff and be competitive. Imagine. Uh, <laughs> Might be favored in a game or two this year. Who knows? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, that's right. You're 0 for 17 on that in Houston, but uh, I won't rub it in. Uh, anyway, well, Rivers, always great to get together with you, and uh, we will absolutely do it again, Texans or not. Thank you, sir. Thank you.